Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now that you would open the word to us. Teach us from your word. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Give us the grace to follow through with what your word says. Encourage our hearts, Lord, to not just be evangelists, but to be people that are unashamed of the gospel. No matter how we present it, no matter how we share, or what on-ramp that we're given, I just pray that you would give us the passion to share our testimony to give away kindness, love, generosity, but also be looking for those opportunities that may be just there all the time and we just don't see it. So Lord, use this to stir our hearts, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Now we've been in a sermon series called Evangelism is for Everyone. And that's why I've named it that because evangelism truly is for everyone. Not everyone believes that. Many Christians think it's for someone else. But I'm saying evangelism is for everyone. But we need to be equipped. And so we've spent four previous weeks talking about various things. I talked to you about the motivation of evangelism, which is really the Father's heart. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That was the motivation of, uh, that is our motivation for evangelism is the Father loves us and he is seeking reconciliation with us so much so that Jesus laid down his life on our behalf. And so we talked about that, us having that same motivation. God loves people and so we want to share with them the love of God found in Jesus Christ. That's our motivation. We also talked about the message, which was the gospel. And I wanted to make sure that we were very clear on what the gospel is so that when we share it, we know what we're saying. We don't have to be elaborate. We don't have to be eloquent. We don't have to have big words, but we want to make sure we break it down simply. So we spent a whole week just on that. And then for the last couple weeks, I've talked to you about power evangelism, and I talked to you about how to lead someone to Christ. These things were practical, and of course, we talked about how the power of God can be an on-ramp, especially as spirit-filled Pentecostal believers, that God gives us healing power, God gives us prophetic word, God gives us the power to bring deliverance into people's lives for the sole purpose of not just seeing people healed and set free, but also that people would meet a living Christ. The reason that we can heal the sick, the reason that we can cast out demons, the reason that we preach the kingdom is because there's a living Christ behind everything that we do. Now, I want to land and finish our series on a message that I'm calling practical evangelism. And that really is because I want to specifically talk about practical things that will help us to not only start conversations with people, but also keep those conversations in an ongoing way. There are so many things that we can be doing that is practical. These are natural things, most of them. And these all come out of a specific kind of mindset, which I want to share with you first in our introduction. This is so important. If we're going to be people, once again, that have set our hearts and our minds on seeing other people come to know Jesus Christ, there is a very specific type of mindset that we need to have. And Jesus taught this very clearly. He just doesn't say it maybe the way 
that I've been saying it. So I want to bring up Jesus's words, which are found in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. And Jesus says this, I'm going to read to you five verses. It says here in Mark chapter 8, and he summoned the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Now I've taught this verse before. It means also in another translation, he must dethrone himself, right? We cannot be the king of our own life. He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now listen to this, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Now, did you see that? He doesn't just say whoever loses his life for my sake. He specifically says for the gospels, the good news. He says that as well. He goes on to say, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes into, in, the, in the glory of his father and with his holy angels. Followers of Jesus deny themselves for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. What does this mean for us? What kind of mindset does this mean that we have? Here's what it means. This means everything that we are and everything that we do and everything that we have, we put at the feet of Jesus. If we're Christians, we have been purchased. We've been bought with a price. We have a value that has been placed on our life. We were worth the blood of Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God. We now have been purchased. And so for us as followers and disciples, we have to hear and heed these words that we deny ourselves the things that we want in this life, the things that this life has to offer. It does not mean that we won't enjoy some things. It does not mean that we won't enjoy family and we won't have likes and all of that are preferences. What I'm saying is that a mission-mindedness to have a clarity about eternity in our full view is to obey and to understand the words of Jesus. He says, those who desire to follow me must first deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me daily. And we do this, we lose our life in this world. We give our life to Jesus for the sake of him and for his gospel. We've got to ask the question, is this what we have done? Is this the Christianity that we have given ourselves to? Is this what we share with other Christians? Is this the mission of our life? Is this the purpose of our life? I'm not saying that we won't have other priorities in our life, but I am saying that this is the greatest priority. The greatest priority is for us to understand that everything that we are and everything that we have is laid down at his feet for his use, for his glory, for his good news, for the sake of other people knowing what we know and having what we have. And this is going to take a very specific mindset. Now, Paul says to the Corinthians something along this lines that I want to share with you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. He says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Some translations say a new creation. Now park right there. We 
are new. He goes on to say, old things have passed away and behold, all things are new. And we tend to use this verse and we say all of our old sins, all of our old life, that old man, that old woman, that old flesh, that old person, all of that is done away. That life of sin, that body of sin, all of that is done away and I am new. And certainly it does mean that, but it doesn't just mean that. What he's talking about here is all of what our life was focused on, the purpose of our life, the passion of our life, the direction of our life, where we were going and what we were doing has now changed. And this is what Paul wanted them to get. For the Corinthians, it was very important that they shift from their paganism. It was important that they shift from just being stained of the world, they being focused on Jesus. And he goes, goes on to say there's a purpose that you have now that you are new creations. There's a purpose that you have in that old things have passed away and new things have come. And he says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins or trespasses against them. And he has committed us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Look what he says. We're ambassadors of Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. God has, has, is using us in this world and he is appealing through our lives, begging people to be reconciled to the Father. I don't know if you've ever begged before or what it takes to get us to a place where we would beg for something. I had years of ministry where I was among homeless people and I used to listen to many stories and and, and I would hear everything you can think of. And everyone has a story and everyone arrives at a certain place in a, in, a, in a different path for a different reason. But I know this is that somehow when you get to a place where you have to beg, it's because you're desperate. You don't beg just because you want to. You get to a place where you cross a threshold and in your mind you cross over and you say, this actually seems like something that I could do or should do right now. Not everybody thinks that initially, but they get to that place over time. Some of those folks that are in that place. Now, maybe you've never had to do that or I've never had to do that, but desperate times call for desperate measures. We may not beg for money. We may not beg for food, but Paul uses this specific word. We beg you, be reconciled to God through Christ. There's a passion behind that. There's a focus behind that. There's a mindset behind that. Previous to this passage, Paul was explaining how he longed to be with Jesus in heaven, but he knew that his time here on earth was for a specific purpose of bringing the gospel to people so that they could be reconciled with their heavenly father. He knew this and he was expressing that his whole life purpose and his whole life goal was so that people could actually have the good news of Jesus. And he uses the term ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ 
Now, what's an ambassador? An ambassador was a delegate. It was somebody who represented one king to another king. They represented one kingdom. They had a close relationship with the king of their kingdom. And that king would send them on different journeys and they would carry messages. They would carry a negotiation. And they would go on behalf of that king and kingdom to another place and another people And this might have taken six months because there were no planes, trains, and automobiles. There was no email. There was no, none of that stuff. And so this journey could have been six months. And they were going to go stand in front of another king and have no idea how that king or kingdom was going to respond to whatever message that they were carrying. But here's what we know. We know that an ambassador had to have the heart of the king. An ambassador had to understand their kingdom inside and out. The one that they were representing, the place where they were coming from, the people that they were a part of, they had to have that down because it wasn't just a job. It consumed their entire life. It was the journey. It was the place. It was the amount of time that it would take. They would have to be a certain person in order to have this role. And Paul specifically uses this as an illustration for what we are like. We are ambassadors of heaven. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus. We may not be great ones right now, but we are ones. And we're representing his kingdom and the king that we worship and that we serve. Our whole life is bound up into this thing. It is our purpose. And that means everything that we've got is for his usefulness, our time, our talent, and our treasure. If he is Lord of our life, we've got to give it all to him and not hold back. And when we do, we become the ambassadors that God has created us to be. When we hold back, we just aren't good at what the purpose of our life now truly is. And so we've got to stir each other up to this very purpose, that this is what it's all about. There's a day coming, we're going to cross over that threshold into eternity and we get to stand before Jesus and we have the deeds done in our hands. Salvation is by faith in the finished work of Christ, but the rewards that we are going to receive in heaven have to do with our obedience to him in this life. That's clear in the Bible and for some reason, people today have tried to take away that kind of doctrine and that kind of teaching, but Jesus is actually going, we are gonna give an account to Jesus for the deeds done and we want to know that we served our Lord well. And what does that look like? That means that we were people who were ambassadors and that we didn't look at it as our money. We didn't look at it as our time. We didn't look at it as our talent and we used it for ourselves and we got our own glory out of it and was for us. We want to give it all to him. We are missionaries. We do not have to go to another world, a third world, or anywhere else to be missionaries. We wake up in the morning and our feet hit the floor and we know who we are. We know whose we are. We know what we're about. We know that wherever we go, Jesus lives in us. And this is why I always say that we bring Jesus to people 
because wherever we go, he lives in us by the spirit and we bring people to Jesus, which means we lead them in the prayer of salvation. We bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. This is our life's purpose. We are laser focused on this because people are going to an eternity with him or they're going to an eternity without him. I know in our generation, it has become unpopular to share the gospel. It's become unpopular to be people that open their mouths and talk about the glory and the goodness of God outside of these buildings, but we've got to get back to that place. We've got to get back to the place where we can say with Paul, I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the very power of God unto salvation. We've got to know that it's not just for us, that it's for everybody, and who knows who God might put in our path if we have this kind of mindset. Paul says we're ambassadors. We're sent from one kingdom to another. That's what missionaries are. When we commission a missionary to go to another land. They go, they learn the language, they learn the culture, they dress the part, they get a place where they can stay with their family. When they get settled into that new land, they learn, the, they learn all the customs and the things that they didn't know that they couldn't train for. They get relationships with the people and they think to themselves, what kind of time do I have? What kind of talent do I have? And what kind of treasure do I have? And they give all that for the mission because they're planted in a place to give away their entire life that people might know Jesus. What stops us from doing the same thing in federal way? What stops us doing, from doing the same thing in Auburn and Milton and Edgewood? Why is it that we do not have always the same mindset? Well, you know what? It needs to be renewed. It needs to be transformed. It needs to be, come on, look at your friend, look at your neighbor, look at your spouse and say, I need an upgrade. Well, I pray that that's exactly what happens because I believe that God wants to help us make evangelism practical. But evangelism will never get practical if we don't have the mindset that God has made us ambassadors and he'll use whatever we've got. He will use whatever we've got. Now, let me just share with you some practical principles, some things that I think are important if we're going to endeavor to do the very thing that I'm talking about, which I trust that that's what we want to do. Number one, we have to build relationships with non-Christians. We've got to insert ourselves into places where non-Christians are, whether it's in our neighborhood, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's in our school, wherever that is, we've got to build these relationships. And our basic vision has to be that we're trying to get to know them and we want them to get to know us. We've got to stop just believing that we're going to have miraculous moments all the time. I long for those. I look forward to those. Those are great. But if we really want to disciple people, we want to baptize them, we want to dedicate their children, it cannot just be what I call glory bombs. We can't just go to the mall and drop a glory bomb on somebody. That's great. We can do that. I know a lot of people love to do that. I used to do that. I spent years where I would take people to the mall and I would take people everywhere. And there's nothing wrong with that. Not at all. Go ahead and do that. But here's the problem is that often we bring back the testimony, but not the person. We bring back that power story, but we don't remember their name. We bring back all of that, but they don't get baptized in the baptism. You understand? We don't dedicate their children and they're not in church with their lives being radically transformed. And I've seen that for years and years and years. And I know people don't like it when I say this kind of stuff. 
myself. But the truth is I used to do all that. And then I recognized that I didn't see the fruit. I saw something that made me feel good. Somebody got healed. Somebody got delivered. That was great. But if my neighbors don't know that I'm a Christian and they haven't heard the gospel from my mouth, it just makes it easier for me to do that thing just like people come to church. And that's the only Christianity that they get. We cannot treat outreach the same way. We can't just go do something and expect that to be enough. It has to be a consumed life where our neighbors are the targets, where our coworkers are the targets. Everywhere we go, it is not about what we do. It's about who we are. We are missionaries. And so we build relationships with non-Christians. And we're not ashamed of the life that we live. We let them into our life. And they look at our life and they go, why do you do some of that stuff? And we explain why we do some of the things that we do. And they go, you're crazy. And we go, you're right. I'm crazy in love. You do crazy things when you're in love. And I'm in love with Jesus, all right? Now, you got to be careful how you say it sometimes because you just, you, you know, you got to just ease into it, all right? Now, we've got to release ourselves from the intimidation of, of having to make everyone love us, all right? Not everyone is going to love us, nor will they like us, but we can build relationships with people, and this is really important. Listen, here, here's kind of a, just sort of a close to home kind of thing. If your parents, I know some of you have raised your kids. If you're single, you understand at least what I'm saying by way of illustration, right? So when I have my kids that are on like a, a sports team of some kind. Now, if they're at a, in a Christian organization, we were for several years not in any Christian organizations. And so our kids would get on sports teams and we would be, I would be the, an assistant coach or I would help or we would go early and we would be kind and we would learn people's names and all that. And you know, nobody knows Pastor Ben. They don't know me as anything at all. They have no clue who I am, what I do, or any of my status, which is a beautiful thing. And what that means is, is that we're not known by our reputation. We are known by our, by our example. And that is so important for us to realize. We cannot merely be known by our reputation like we can be at church, but we can be known by our example. So we come and we serve. Wouldn't you agree with me when I say this, that the hands and the feet of Jesus followers have always been more compelling than their voice? Now listen to me. The voice is important. And I've always said we need to have good works and we need to have good news. I'm not just interested in good works, but I'm also not just interested in good news. We've got to have good works and good news. They go together. But the hands and the feet of Jesus and his followers are always compelling. And so when we get when our kids get onto these teams or wherever it is that we're in life where we can build non relationships with non-Christians, we need to do that. We need to make sure that we insert ourselves. Instead of shying away, let people get to know who we are. We talk to them about who we are. Think about the skills that you have. Do you know computers? Do you know how to sheetrock? Do you know how to paint? When you build a relationship with a non-Christian, you just offer your time, your talent, and your treasure. That's exactly what missionaries do, and that's the way that we need to think as well. In our neighborhood, one of the things that I want to establish, hopefully, as like a summer mission-minded focus. Now, 
I know I'm prophesying this and every now and again, I'll say something from this stage and people on staff will have to scramble. Okay, I'm not saying we're gonna do this for sure, but this is just vision talking, okay? I wanna do this thing called home to home. And what that means is in our neighborhood, yep, the places that we've been living for years and we don't know people, and let's be honest, we make a lot of excuses. We say, well, our neighbors, the garage door goes up and it goes down. Okay, it doesn't mean we've ever knocked on their door. If we allow the garage door up and down to be the end all to our ability to build relationships, we've got to go a little farther than that, okay? I understand what you're saying. I've said the same thing. We're all guilty, but let's move beyond our guilt and do something different. I want to establish hopefully, something called home to home, where every week we're praying over with our family and we're actually somehow inviting or doing some kind of act of kindness or generosity to different homes in our neighborhood. Now, if you live on a farm in Acres, I really don't know how to translate this for you. Maybe it'd be farm to farm. I'm not really sure. Condo to condo, translate it. The point is that we pray for the houses, the condos, or the farms next to us, and we focus on a different one each week, and we ask God for words, we ask God for scriptures, we ask God for whatever he wants to give to us, and then we just do stuff that would invite them into our world a little bit more, and each week is a different person. And by the end of the summer, maybe we've had maybe encountered or experienced or had some kind of interaction with five different neighbors that brings us past the current relationship that we have. What if every member of Northwest Church did that? I wonder how many people that we could affect, how many people that we could change, how many people that we could influence, how many relationships that we could build. I wonder what that would do. Instead of just waiting for a big outreach where 30 people go, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a catalyst. But what about us going viral and we focus on this together? Me and my wife and our kids included. And we start with our neighborhood just like we're asking everybody else. I'm not trying to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do, ladies and gentlemen. Let's do this together. Let's build relationships with people. Come on, home to home. It sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it sound good? Have I sold you on it? A couple of you are looking at everybody else like I'm not doing that. There's got to be one of you in that room that says, no, we're doing that. Whoever it is, go ahead and say that right now to your friend, to your family, to your kids, to your spouse. Just look at them. And if you're alone right now, just go ahead and say it out loud to yourself. Number two, I want to focus on another principle or another point that I think will help us in practical evangelism, and that's responding to the objections of non-Christians. If we're going to build relationships with non-Christians, we need to know that they have a lot of objections and be prepared for them. As we uh, look to those, I think there are two categories, all right? I've just broken it up in two. There's probably a lot more, but there are logical and illogical, all right? There, there are rational and irrational objections. I don't spend my time on the irrational. I don't spend my time on the illogical. If someone's trying to stump me or make me look dumb, I just let it happen. I don't care. I don't want to have an ego to serve. It is what it is. I don't try to force my way in there and I give less time to that type of thing and I just try to serve people when they're in that place. But here are some of the common objections that we hear and we need to just ready ourselves for this kind of conversation. The first one that I hear a lot when we have conversations with non-Christians is why does God let bad things happen? Now, if someone asks you that question, you need to be prepared. I need to be prepared to answer it. Now, you don't have to be sophisticated and eloquent. You do not have to be a theologian. You do not have to be an apologist. What we have to be is practical. 
We have to be practical. Sometimes people are asking out of pain. Sometimes people are asking out of a sincere heart. And sometimes people are asking to stump us. But either way, our answer does not have to change. We can give them a real answer. And the more that we answer that question, the more clear we become. It just reminds me of teaching the Bible. I remember where there was a time where I was really nervous to teach about the Trinity. I can't, I mean, I can't even explain to you. It was like, I've, I've always had sort of a confidence to just do something, not in myself, but just to get up and share. And I'm not really that nervous to talk in front of people. And I don't mind making fun of myself. And I mess up all the time. I've already done it on this broadcast. I've already done it in this teaching. Maybe you didn't remember it, but I remember it. I'll remember it when I'm done. But my point is, is that I've always had sort of a confidence, but I can remember when I taught things that were out of my depth, things that that are hard to understand, that are just all throughout the scripture. The first time I taught on the Trinitarian nature of God, I was challenged. I was deeply challenged. I had people that challenged me. All kinds of thoughts, all kinds of opinions, all kinds of passages. It was not that well done. Now, the second time, it got better. The third time, even better. Now, I can teach on the Trinity without having to get my notes, but I have good notes for that. And I love teaching systematic theology. I, I've, I've done the study. I've taught the lessons. I love teaching on it. There was a time where I didn't feel that confident about it. But what changed? The more I did it, the more I studied, the more I spoke it out, the more it became clear. The same is true when we start talking with non-Christians. We don't know how to answer the questions, or we maybe do with our Christian friends because they're going to agree, but we're afraid of the rejection. We're afraid of the resistance. Don't have to be. We just don't take an offense. Here's the deal. We can make a point without making an enemy. Now, I know the world doesn't believe that right now because everybody is spinning around with all these different narratives. I talk to people all the time. I just smile at some folks because I'm not trying to win an argument. It's not about me taking a stand. I don't need to prove that I'm smart or that I'm dumb. I'm just trying to serve people. I'm just trying to share the love of God with people. And God knows my heart and he knows yours. And I believe that when we set ourselves with the right heart and we don't allow ourselves to get offended that the Lord will use us again and again and again. And it's compelling. There will go in seeds to the heart that people simply cannot deny. They'll try, but they won't be able to long-term. Number two, the Bible was written by people and it has many mistakes. You might remember, I've encouraged you to read the book, why we or where the Bible comes from by Lightfoot is his last name. I think we need to have these kinds of simple answers for people. And we need to know what they're saying and, not what, and what they're not saying. Sometimes people are entering into a deep theological discussion. Sometimes they're just saying what they heard somebody else say. And we need to know how to answer it practically. That's not hard to do. And you and I can learn that if we haven't. Number three is God cannot forgive me. You don't know what I've done. Now, I have a really good answer for that, right? This is where a lot of Christians will say, well, you don't clean yourself up before you come to God, you come to God and he cleans you up. He knows how to do that. We don't know how to clean ourselves up. That's why Jesus came. See, my answer to that is always like, listen, that's the whole crux. That's the whole point of Christianity. That's why Jesus 
came was because every person on the planet should feel the same way. We should feel like, I, I can't be forgiven because of what I've done. The fact that you're in touch with your own sin, your own humanity, means that you're a prime candidate ready for Jesus to touch your life and transform you from the inside out. He so longs to do that and wants to do that, leading them in to the whole purpose of the cross and the resurrection, that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And this is something that gets brought up quite frequently when you're talking with non-Christians, those that have a little bit more humble heart. Number four, I tried going to church and I was mistreated. The church is full of hypocrites, to which I always say, you right. <laughs> no, I'm just, that's not funny, is it? That's not. We're all hypocrites, okay? The thing we've learned during this shutdown, COVID-19, the visceral reaction between Christians, I've called for unity. I, listen, Northwest Church is fantastic, but I have seen all over the place beyond our church, there is so much going on in the church that is not that compelling to the world. All right, now you are beautiful, all right? I love you, you are beautiful, we're in this together. I don't get a lot of flack from people in our church. We have a beautiful thing going on. Let's keep it going. Come on, somebody, let's keep it going. But I'll tell you what, people do call out the hypocrisy in the church and we don't have to defend the church. What we're pointing to is Jesus. What I like to talk about is why I need him. You know what? The church is not a place for perfect people. The church is a hospital where people come and they recognize that there is a great physician and he knows how to sew us back up. He knows how to set the bone. He knows how to get us back up on our feet. He knows how to transform our hearts and we're all learning that together. We're all following him together. We found someone that was perfect and it wasn't the one that I'm looking at in the mirror. It was Jesus Christ. And that's the story and the message of Christianity. And we love that message and it's true. And so we get to tell them these kinds of things when that gets brought up. Number five, I don't believe there is a God, atheism. We need to know how to answer that. Number six, we can't, we can't know God, who God really is. That's agnosticism. There is a God, we can't know him. Who could know him? Number seven, I am a good person and that's enough right? That's sort of that religious idea, that religious mindset. It's good enough. And that's where when we know the gospel and we can clarify it, it really helps. Number eight, there are many paths to God. This would be sort of a universalism. And someday we're all going to get there. We get to help people understand that's not actually true. Our goal is to win the heart and not win the argument. You understand what I'm saying? We've got to shift from trying to win arguments and just trying to strong arm people into receiving Jesus. It doesn't work. But I think many of us would say, Ben, I've never tried to strong arm anyone into receiving Jesus. Neither have I. And so what it does though, is because we think that's what a conversation is gonna look like, we automatically resist any conversation before it ever happens. Here's what I'm saying. We need to insert ourselves into conversations that make us uncomfortable and let God do the work. We need to let God do the work. We got to give him something to work with. Fumble over our words, stumble over our words, not do it right, and do that. Mess up 10 times, and by the time the 11th comes around, we might actually know how to better navigate those conversations. But God will lead us. The third principle that I want to share with you about practical evangelism is learn to share your story with non-Christians. There's nothing more evangelistic, honestly, especially in the initial stage, than sharing our testimony. Now, we've got to learn how to break it down into bite-sized pieces. 
All right, now there's nothing wrong with sharing our life story, but we can't get people lost along the path of what we're talking about. We've got to realize that people have short attention spans and we've got to learn how to write out our testimony in a short way and really a, an authentic way, an organic way and share it with them. So I might be getting my hair cut Yes, I got my haircut. Come on, somebody. Amen for barbers and hairstylists. We see you. We love you. We're going to pay you extra. That's exactly what I did. But I'd be getting my haircut, and I love just talking about how Jesus had delivered me from drug addiction and immorality, and I talk about how I was hopeless, and I was depressed and discouraged. All of that is as true as it gets, and I share that with people, and I have had people literally tear up as they're cutting my hair. Now, fortunately for me, I don't have a whole lot of hair to cut, so if they make a mistake, it's not that big of a deal, and you just shave it all off. Hasn't happened yet? But I'm concerned that it might happen, especially if somebody starts to get delivered while I'm talking to them about Jesus. I've had situations where people just start to tear up. I've had people say, I got goosebumps while you're talking to me. We know those are glory bumps, but I don't use Pentecostal language because I'm talking to somebody about cutting my hair when, while they're cutting my hair. And this is what we've got to do is learn how to share our testimony. I'm having fun with you. I hope that's okay. There's nobody really here. So it's just me and you and we're online, cyber chat. It's the way it works right now. Acts chapter one and verse eight, this is what Jesus said before he, he ascended to be with his father. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even the remotest parts of the earth. And Acts chapter four and verse 20 the disciples were told not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they said, we cannot stop speaking of what we've seen and what we've heard. Witnesses speak of what they've seen and what they've heard. You and I need to share what we've seen. We need to share what we've heard about Jesus. People need to hear what we have. There are people that God has in our lives, your life and my life, that need to hear from us. And whatever we're carrying, whatever we've been delivered from, whatever we've experienced, whatever knowledge we have, when we share that with people, it's enough. God is divinely orchestrating appointments of all kinds so that people could hear the hope that we have. And we don't want to withhold. We see many, many passages. John chapter 4, there's the woman at the well where Jesus shares with her. John chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man and his testimony challenged the religious community. John chapter 11, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and his testimony caused other people to believe. Mark chapter 5, a man was filled with demons and he was set free. And we're reading about that story even now when we get to study it and we preach about it. We realize that that testimony of that man getting delivered from our Jesus is still something that is encouraging us, touching our hearts today. Your testimony and my testimony matters. I remember one time I went into a store and I began talking to this Man, he, he was a Muslim. I didn't know that. But as I began to talk with him, he shared with me that he was a Muslim. And so now we're engaged in a conversation about really not, not a lot of stuff. And it just got clearer and clearer that this was a moment. And because and he was talking to me, some people don't want to talk to you. So anybody that wants to keep talking to me, I figure, man, this has got to be from God. At least that's my opinion. It may not be true, but I enter into it as though it were. And so I'm talking to this guy. His name was Roman. He was an uh, Arabic man, and, uh, and he, sp he spoke Farsi. He was a Muslim. He talked about being a refugee 
early on when he was a kid. And we're in this conversation about being a Muslim. And I literally just shared my testimony about how I was delivered, how I was set free, how I was healed, how my heart was changed, and how Jesus woke me up and just changed my life. And this is literally what the guy said. He goes, you're lucky. That's what the guy said to me. I'll never forget. He says, you're lucky. And I go, why do you say that? He goes, because most people never have anything like that happen to them in their whole life. And you know what he was saying? He was saying, I haven't had anything like that happen to me in my life. He said, you're lucky. That's what came out of his mouth after I shared my testimony. It wasn't really that compelling and it wasn't very long. Two minutes, maybe a minute. I mean, it really wasn't that long. What's your story of knowing Jesus of meeting Jesus, how would you share that with somebody? Have you written it out? Can I encourage you to write it out? Write it out, share it with others. If you have a life group, if you have a small group, write it out and share it with one another. This is one way that we can respond to the message. How can we respond to this? I don't know if I expect everybody to go out and start doing everything we're saying, but we can start taking steps writing out our testimony. If you journal, you've got a place where you can do it. Write short versions of it, long versions. What have you seen and what have you heard? You can share that with people. The last point that I want to talk to you about in practical evangelism is this. Start spiritual conversations with non-believers. Now we're talking about we're building relationships with non-believers. We're getting into their life and now what we want to, want to do, and I'm just going really practical. Maybe you don't know where to start. We start with conversations, spiritual conversations with non-believers. When I talked to you a few weeks ago about leading people to Christ, I taught you about how you know the leading of the Holy Spirit. I also taught, about, I taught you one of the ways that we know when the Holy Spirit might be leading us is people bring up spiritual jargon or spiritual conversation, spiritual words, things that we know, things that we understand. Usually they bring it up in a way that's not in keeping with how we believe. But one of the things that we can do in starting spiritual conversations, I just have some some thoughts for you. I'm just going to list them in a bullet point fashion. If you want my notes, I'd be glad to send them to you. But number one, you can say, do you have any experience with Christianity or a church. Sometimes people will say, do you attend a church? That's not a bad question to ask. Do you attend a church? What's your experience with Christianity? Are you religious? I know that sometimes we get hung up uh, because we don't want to talk about religion. Number two, what do you believe about God? And how did you come to believe that? And listen, one of the things we've got to be is good listeners. That helps us in this endeavor. Number three, What do you believe about Jesus or who is Jesus to you? What have you heard about Jesus? Some simple question like that. Number four, who has been the greatest spiritual influence in your life? I have found when I ask this question, it helps me to understand the person a little bit better. Maybe they're saying all this crazy stuff or maybe not much at all. But when I ask a question about who's influenced them spiritually, it helps me to see something about their heart and about their way of thinking And so this can be a really good question. Number five, do you believe in right and wrong? And where does this concept come from and who decides this? This is more of an apologetic, which we could spend a lot more time on on this aspect, just to be, have like this apologetic approach, knowing what we believe, why we believe it, in contrast to the other worldviews that are out there. We have a biblical worldview. Our worldview comes through the filter of scripture and the way that we see the world 
No, others that don't believe don't have that. They might be influenced with a biblical worldview, but they don't have a biblical worldview. And so we want to ask them questions about morality. How do you, what do you believe about right and wrong? And how did you come to this? Number six is, do you know the difference between Christianity and other religions? Just say, do you know the difference between Buddhism and Christianity? And so you and I do need to know Islam, Buddhism, Christianity. We need to know some of the other branches that people say are Christians, like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. What are the difference in those? I get those questions quite often. There are great books that we can read that will help us to understand the difference so that we can explain to people. And by the way, I take this approach when I'm talking with people about Jesus and about Christianity. My job is not to convince or coerce. My job is to explain and educate. And when you take that position, it's important for us to know what we believe, why we believe it, and be clear in our communication. We become, we take down all the threats and we help people understand just by the posture that we have. We're not intense when we start getting intense with people, it's almost like if you were to put up your hands to people, what do you expect them to do? I mean, do you expect them to go, oh, you won? <laughs> I mean, that's just not what's going to happen. You put up your dukes and somebody else is going to put up their dukes as well. Now, if you're in a conversation and you metaphorically put up your dukes, other people are going to do that as well. That's how we get that visceral reaction. We just don't need to do that. You know, listen, I just take on this approach People disagree all the time. I do not need to get upset about that. We can make a point without making an enemy. And the, the church, Christians, should be great at that. In fact, we should be the example for it. If we're not, we can start there. And it makes talking to non-Christians a whole lot easier. Number seven, what are the primary beliefs of the religion that you're a part of? I, I like asking people about their belief system. When I was selling real estate for many years... I, used to, I had a lot of Indian clients, and they were Hindu. All of them were Hindu. In fact, some by devotion and commitment and some by tradition. Their parents were Hindu. And so I asked a lot of questions about Hinduism. I asked a lot of questions about beliefs. I got invited to ceremonies and things at dedications at, at people's house after I sold them uh, after I sold them a house. Some of them are my friends. We've, Bridget and I went on to go and visit with them in their homes. They became our friends and taught us about Indian culture and it was beautiful and it was wonderful. And, and I, did, I didn't agree with them on Hinduism, but I found it a place where we could educate one another without having tension. And you just bring walls down and you can start sharing hearts. And if my truth and my Jesus is as real as I say he is, then guess what he's going to do when I insert myself into the lives of others? Guess what rivers of living water that flow from my innermost being are going to do when love and kindness and generosity are exchanged to people that don't have the hope that I have? Guess what happens when I start to share how Jesus truly and really delivered me, healed me, set me free, changed my life, gave me purpose? I don't have to convince anybody, but I shouldn't stay silent as well. So there are many things that we can do in really starting spiritual conversations, but these are just, these are just helps. All I want to do is stir you. I want to stir you. I want to provoke you to build relationships with non-believers. I want to stir you to think about your neighborhood, pray for your neighbors, pray for your coworkers, pray for other students that are around you. Whoever is around us, 
I want us to gain back that passion. I really do. I just think that this, we're living in a post-Christian era. So many people do not have a biblical worldview. So many people just don't walk in off the street into our buildings. I mean, nobody does now, but when we get back to it, they just don't. You know how they come? They come because they're invited. Yeah, we have the occasional person that drives into the church But to most people, we've become utterly irrelevant. These buildings have just become places that nobody knows what they are and what they do. But you know what people know about people? They know that that person is authentic. That person is real. That person has integrity. That person is trustworthy. That person's real. Because we get into their lives and we show them what we're made of. Jesus flows through us. Jesus reveals himself through us. He's so committed to that. And I just want to encourage you, and I want to be encouraged, to have zeal for the Lord and zeal for his name. I want Jesus to be famous all over the world. Now, he's the king of the whole earth. Who am I to make him famous? You know what I mean. I want the name of Jesus to be in our mouths and the nature of Jesus to be in our hearts. That federal way would have just such a ripple effect of the goodness of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Jesus, just saturating our community like never before. We need a movement. We need a reviving work of the Holy Spirit. And it's just got to come through people recognizing that they have a part to play in the world, knowing the goodness of God found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being unashamed of his gospel It's not about being brash or brazen or Bible thumping. It's about being open and available and generous and kind and one that shares and one that just lets it out. We don't hold it in. We let him do what he wants to do through our lives in our places of influence, knowing that our whole life is for him and and for his glory. I know you believe that, but I want to stir you onto it And we'll pray into that in just a moment. Let me go ahead and share with you some words that I believed I received, or at least partially, as we were praying earlier. I just wrote down some things. I saw somebody in a vision, and you had a broken arm. And I believe that that's maybe not current, but you had a broken arm. And your arm, it just didn't set right. And so there's just some complications with it right now. And I believe that the Lord wants to bring healing over you. And so I just pray, and and wherever you are, just lay your own hand or somebody next to you on that arm. Father, we thank you tonight in Jesus' name. You're the great physician. We pray that you would release your healing power right now. Thank you for our church. When one of the body suffers, we all do. We're feeling and we're sensing and we're hearing what you want to do in your body. And so we pray as a church to bring your healing power to our brother or sister right now, that that bone would set right, those muscles would be properly aligned, and you would make that whole in Jesus' mighty name. Now, this is a little different. I don't know if I've ever said this before. I saw a picture of a a family, and you've been in a remodel in your home, and things have not gone well. And I saw that you were super discouraged and probably quite angry. And I, I don't know exactly, I didn't see exactly what's gone wrong, but the remodel that you're in, whether it's, you've, it's been more money and maybe you're worried about finishing the job and you're living in disarray and it's been discouraging for you. And 
And I just believe that the Lord wants to release peace over your life right now, to trust in him. And that's the word that I have in my heart. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. And right now, maybe you're just discouraged and it sucks, but I wanna tell you that God can give you peace and he's calling you out because he wants to give you a word of peace and he wants to release it in your heart. And so I'm just gonna pray that the anxiety and the anger and, the, and that, that anger and that discouragement would break and subside and the peace of God would be released into your life. Father, we thank you right now for this family that is going through this and they started out one way and it's not gone well. And I just pray that you would settle on them peace in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing something right now in their lives. I ask for peace over their heart, peace over their mind, provision for everything they need, but also to be able to settle all of this. That's it. Settle everything that needs, they're just accounts. Settle these accounts. Father, I pray wisdom, words of wisdom right now. Settle these accounts. Occupy your mind. You're just, there's a consuming nature to this right now. Occupy your mind. Thank you, Lord, for the renewing of the mind. Now here's a, I saw a picture of a lady and you had, I would say you're in the initial stages of suicidal thoughts. I'm not suggesting that you would go through with it. I'm just saying that you have been plagued in that initial phase of suicidal thoughts. And so right now in the name of Jesus, we release the peace of God over you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. We command every lying spirit, every evil presence that's seeking your, your harm to leave now and to leave your home in Jesus' name. That whatever's seeking to come against your soul, every lie would be dismantled and disarmed because of what Jesus has already done. We command that, whatever that is coming against you, every lie, every temptation, to just fall away. We thank you, Lord, right now that you would release peace, break strongholds. Thank you, Lord. Release that woman of discouragement that dear, precious woman, daughter of God, be released of discouragement right now. Be released of those thoughts that you're being plagued with. Let them go right now. Thank you, Lord. He's just releasing you of all of that. Yeah, thank you, Lord. I just pray also that you would know the affections of the Father for you, that deeply in your heart, you would know his affection for your life, that it would just, he would touch you. The Lord himself would just lay his hands on you and show you, not just in a, in a way that I'm saying, but somewhere in your heart that you would experience his affection over your life and know just how powerful that it truly is. I just felt led to also, as we close, pray for general hopelessness. There's just a sense that we're in such a crazy moment. And yes, there are things that we need to address there are things that we need to know. There are things that we need to learn. There, we need to grow. All of that might be true, but listen, we have hope. We've got hope eternal. We've got the message of, of hope. We've got the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We, we cannot forget who we are, and we, we cannot forget what we do. We are bringers of life. We are bringers of hope into every situation, no matter what that tension is. We know that Jesus has solutions. We may not, but we know he does. And guess what? We're following him. We want to break hopelessness over our lives, over our marriages, over our children, break it over our homes. We want to break the power of hopelessness. Let hope arise 
in our homes and in our hearts. Come pray with me. Father, we thank you right now. We pray that hope would arise. We pray that hope would arise. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray that hope would arise in our hearts. I pray that hope would arise in our homes, in our marriages, in our parenting with our children, in our jobs, over provision, over our neighborhood, over our nation. We pray that hope would arise in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you, God, that you bring hope into our lives, and we will not deny it. We will lay hold of what you give and we will lay hold of what you do. Now, Lord, would you also stir us to be those that bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. I pray that there would just be a fresh sense of practicality to this thing we call evangelism. That as I shared about some of the simplicity of it, that you would just crack something in our mind, that we would have the mind of Christ, that thing that holds us back, that thing that makes us hesitant. I pray, God, that you would just break that open so that we could simply just give ourselves over to what you want to do. So we lay ourselves on the altar. We're living sacrifices. Use our hands, use our feet. Make them compelling to our neighborhood, to our, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family and friends. Use our words to bring glory to Jesus, that we testify of what we've seen and heard. Make us unashamed of the gospel. I pray that we would enter into a place of revival where we would speak of Jesus more than ever. Do a new Jesus movement in us, where we would just be talking about Jesus everywhere that we go. Thank you, Lord. We pray, pour out your spirit upon your church. I pray you bless Northwest Church. Every man, every woman, every child, every marriage, every home, every person. I pray that you would bless our church, strengthen us, Help us to say no to temptation. There's somebody right now, you're struggling with the ability to say no to some temptation that is just knocking you down. You are free in Jesus' name because of what he has done for you. You're struggling to say no. Father, I pray that you would give that strength, that Holy Spirit strength to say no to ungodliness to rise up in righteousness, for we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is who we are. We thank you, Lord. We love you. Use us for your glory in Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.